Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of James. The book of James, we're going to study one of the more um, sobering and challenging passages of personal instruction in the Bible. This one is difficult, and it goes right to the core of who we are, and yet the Lord has been so good this week, and I've just been so encouraged as I've studied, even a difficult passage. I think he's just shown some wonderful things this week. So, James chapter 3. If you're a student of the Word, you know what that means. You know what that chapter's about. James chapter 3 is uh, the chapter that gives us a great uh, discourse about the potential of the mouth, about how the mouth works, and about the fact that it can do tremendous damage, it can tear down, it can hurt if it is unsanctified and undisciplined, it can create a lot of problems. Or, if it is sanctified and disciplined, it can become a great source of blessing and encouragement. Just as we sang with our mouths and praised the Lord and honored Him for who He is. That, that honors the Lord this morning. He's encouraged as He hears us praising Him. Especially if it was deep in our heart and we really felt those words. We weren't just looking at the screen going, yeah, I'll sing the next line. If we really felt that, the Lord is honored by that. So the mouth can tear down or it can build up. Now, we've taken a few weeks off of this series that I started a while back called The Spiritual Physical, and we're kind of going from top down through the body to talk about the different body parts and how they apply physically and spiritually because there is spiritual implication of how we use certain parts of our body and whether they are promoting holiness or whether they are promoting sin. And this week, we're going to study the one that probably causes more problems than any other part of our body. This part of our body causes more problems than any other part of our body. Let's take a quick poll. How many of you, and you're going to raise your hands, have been significantly hurt by something somebody said to you? Raise your hand. Pretty much everybody. How many of you still remember the words, even if they were years ago, that kind of tore you apart and caused you great pain? Raise your hand. See, they don't disappear We think that words just evaporated into space and then they're gone, but they linger in our hearts. Now, tougher question, and you don't need to raise your hand for this one. How many of us have been the one who caused great hurt by our words? How many of us have been the ones who said something and as soon as it came out of our mouth, we said, "Uh uh-oh, that's going to do some damage? Or maybe we said it with great joy, like, I'm really going to stick it to you now. I'm really going to hurt you. I'm going right for the jugular. Here it comes. You ready? And we said it. And we saw on their face, we saw the pain, we saw the hurt. Maybe it drove apart a relationship forever. How can it be that our little mouth, our little tongue can do so much harm? It seems hard to believe, and yet the Spirit says in this passage that it is the most difficult area of our lives to restrain. Think about that. Even more than our stomach even more than our sexual flesh and our desire, even more than our minds, all of which are driven by lust and by selfishness. He says the tongue, the mouth, is the one that does the most damage and is the hardest to restrain. It's where pride expresses itself most fully. And the description James uses here 
that really shows how dominant and unrelenting and hard to control the tongue is. Look at some of the things that that he makes really six comparisons here to the tongue, and we'll read the passage in a second, but I want you to just be aware of them before we even read. Here's what he compares the tongue to. An unbridled horse, a ship driven by strong winds, a powerful fire, a deadly poison, a fountain with two kinds of water, and a tree producing the wrong fruit. Now, there's no way when we look at those six analogies that we can miss the point that he is making, that this is a real problem. And he says, for believers, this represents a spiritual dichotomy. That with one part of our mouth, we're blessing God like we just did, and with another part of our mouth, we're cursing. And he says, that's not who Christ has created you to be. That's not the recreation that took place when Christ died for your sins and rose again. He didn't create you to look like that. So we've got to deal with this and we've got to address this because we can't just ignore it and say, well, I know it's a big problem and sometimes I shoot off of my mouth and I say things and I shouldn't and it hurts people, but, you know, come on, we're all human. No, this is a serious problem that we have to address because the Spirit of God says if we don't do this, if we don't deal with this, if we don't get this sanctified, it is going to affect our whole body. Everything about us will be affected by the tongue. So let's read verses 1 to 12. They're probably very familiar to you. And let's ask the Spirit to give us some very significant insight. There is so much to study here. We could take literally months to to digest this. But let's focus this morning just on one concept that I think will help us understand the problem and help us to be more diligent about asking the Lord for help and for self-control. James chapter 3 and verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. We, of course, know that's not possible. Now, if we put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also, that they're so great and are driven by strong winds, are directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue, verse 5, is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Verse 6, I don't know if if we really digested that fully because I read it kind of fast, but that is a scary little verse, isn't it? I mean, what it's saying there, and we'll, we'll break it apart in a minute, that's very entirely scary. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren produce olives, or a vine produce figs, neither can salt water produce fresh. Now, the first truth we need to see right at the outset is in verse 1, where it says that there's a higher standard, there's a higher expectation for those who teach God's Word, and a stricter judgment for those who teach God's Word if they aren't careful with the Word. Not only because the Bible is holy, and not only because we're to handle it carefully, 
but also because of how distorted and dangerous our mouths can be. And James reminds us of that in verse 2 with this kind of indisputable fact. He says, all of us will stumble in many ways. Sorry to break it to you, but you're going to stumble this week. I'm going to stumble this week. We all stumble multiple times. And nowhere is that more true, he says, in what we say. What we say, what comes out of this opening, what comes out of this mouth, can impact and damage and hurt and affect our reputation and affect our witness and affect how people view the Lord. It, it has so much potential, positive and negative. Now look at some of the analogies. Let's just walk through them real quickly. He says, just like the bit in the horse's mouth allows the rider control the horse's movements, or at least that's what I've been told every time I've ride a horse, that if you pull it a certain way, the horse will go that way. My horse just turns around and looks at me and goes, you don't know what you're doing, right? And I go, oh, yeah, you're right, I don't. Please, please don't hurt me, okay? So the theory is you put the bit, that metal piece in the horse's mouth, and he kind of gets it right and gets it back there in the little groove, and then that allows you to direct the way that the horse goes. Horses are very powerful animals. If you've ever been thrown off a horse, which I have, one time he just lifted up and just slid me off the back. That was an enjoyable experience. But if you've ever been thrown by a horse, you know that it is very painful. Horses are powerful beasts, and yet with that little piece of metal, you can control their movements, and you can affect where they go. He says in the same way the tongue dictates the direction that we go in, physically, relationally, in our careers, in our church, the tongue can affect things. Then he says, second, that a ship is steered by a small rudder, even in the middle of a big storm, as the waves are coming and the wind is slapping, that the, that the controller, the, the pilot, the one who is steering, just with that little small rudder, can affect the way things go. And he says the same thing's true of our tongue. It can navigate us through difficult times. If we say words that are holy and edifying and encouraging, it can get us through a crisis. Or it can just make the storm a lot worse. And we can use it to damage. And then drop down to verse 8. The Spirit says through James that any animal can be tamed, but the tongue is untamable. It's out of control. It's restless. It's evil. It's full of deadly poison that spreads quickly. Now here's where it comes to us. Because this passage is to believers. This is not to unbelievers. He's not talking to the world. He's not saying, hey world, you're so crass and cruel and mean-spirited and, and, and you curse and you need to change that. This is not to the world. This is to us. This is to believers. So he says, these characteristics that I've just described should not be true of us. That those who have been redeemed by Christ, those who have been delivered from sin, those who have been transformed and made into a new creation... Those who now have the Spirit of God indwelling them, that, that these things should not be true of us. There should be a compatibility between what we believe and how we live. That our character, our conduct, our commitment should all match up perfectly with our conviction. So if we stand here and praise the Lord and say, Lord, you're the great I am and praise you for delivering me and thank you, Lord, for, for the sacrifice of Christ and then I'm a new creation, then our actions better back it up. Because if we're living one way, and this is especially shown in how we speak, if we're living one way that's contradicting what we're saying in here, that's a significant problem. And that's what he's saying here. 
He says, what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of my mouth is the most accurate indicator of how holy and spiritually mature we are. That means, verse 9, that there can't be any inconsistency. We can't praise the Lord in one breath and curse somebody in the other. How, How could we say that's righteous? How could we say that's indicative of somebody whose life has been changed? That, that incompatibility, if that's true, if we're, if we're honoring the Lord and here we get in the car, we start screaming at the kids, why did you do that? Where are we going to lunch? Why did anybody make this decision? I know you don't have these discussions. Just try to imagine it. Or you get home, Daddy, I want to play. Mommy, I want to do this. Now you do this. No, I'm tired. Come on, let me just lay down for a couple minutes. Or I'm busy. i got stuff to do. And, and, it, and it starts to escalate. And we've just stood here in this beautiful room and we praise the Lord. Lord, we honor you and praise you. We love you. And then we're screaming at our kids five minutes later after we get out the door. He says that that's not indicative of dying to self daily. That's not indicative of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the devil knows this. The devil's a student of behavior. He watches us. And he really tries to work to create relational hostility. And he does that by what we say, how quickly it can change. The Lord's not suggesting this to us. He's not saying, you know, believer, it would be great if you could get this right. And, and if you could just work on this a little bit and, and, and gain some progress here, it would be awesome. And, and then we'll keep working. This is not a progress passage. This is a do it now passage. Because he says here that incompatibility between what we say and what we believe is an impossibility. Now, I struggled with that word a little bit because I try to think, well, what does that mean? But look at what verse 11 says. It says a fountain can't spray fresh water and bitter water at the same time. It has one source for the water and one place where it flows out. And whatever flows out is an indication of what's in the cistern. So if you go to the water fountain and the water fountain is salt water, you can't say, well, this is fresh water from Lake Michigan because it's salt water. It can't do two things at once. And then he says in verse 12, a fig tree can't produce olives and a vine can't produce figs. It has to be consistent. A tree bears the fruit that is indicative of the type of tree it is. So he says the same thing applies to our mouth. What comes out of our mouth is a clear indication of what kind of tree we are. Now that gets very sobering. Because according to this principle, a child of God cannot be impure in their mouths. A child of God cannot have this inconsistency and then claim to love the Lord and serve Him. So we got to get this right. We need to be walking in holiness. We need to be speaking words that are pure and holy and edifying. We need to be very careful and very intentional about what we're saying. Ephesians 4.29 tells us how it should look. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Now that call to edify, and I want you to take some notes this morning, because there's a lot the Spirit's going to speak us, speak to us. The, the call to edify means that God says to us, I only want you to speak what will build up other people. Now stop and think about that just for a second because that is not as easy as it sounds. I only want you to speak what will build up people, especially fellow believers. The word edify means to construct a building. At some point 55 years ago, I don't know how they did it, 
people started to put things together and construct this beautiful building. He says our job as believers is to build that building in each other's life. Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And our joy and responsibility as believers is to help each other build walls so they are strong and secure. They will defend us against the enemy's attack, and they will be the fortress from which we go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. Now that God is giving us a new location, we're not just going to sit here and praise God and go home and say, wasn't that wonderful? Now he's put us in a place where we got to say, all right, how are we going to reach people? What are we going to do? There are people all around us. We're now in a neighborhood. First time in three years we're in a neighborhood. Guess what? The neighborhood's not going to come to us. we got to go to them. So if God builds a building, he says, all right, I'm placing you here now. What are you going to do? Our job as believers is to build each other up as a building so we can defend and then go out. Now, it would be an interesting analysis, and I don't really want to know this, but God knows, to know how many words this past week fell into that category. How many of the words that came out of my mouth this week actually edified, actually built somebody up, actually strengthened somebody, actually encouraged somebody, actually were like a a cool breeze on a hot day. I know it's hard to remember, but it's coming, I, I promise. Like a cool breeze on a tropical day, just imagine it. How many words did that? How many words refreshed? How many words just made the person think, I'm so glad I know that person? How many of the words that we said brought joy, brought strength, brought them closer to Christ? And how many words brought them down? Damaging, discouraging, disheartening, bringing pain, bringing unhappiness, whether it was criticism or, or gossip or accusation or lying or harshness or hostility or anger. Listen, the Lord knows what the percentage was last week, and mine probably wasn't that great, but this week can be different. The percentage can be much higher this week if we choose to build each other up and not destroy each other. But unfortunately, our words can have the effect of destroying. We can destroy confidence. We can destroy reputations. We can destroy relationships. We can destroy the truth. We can destroy people's hope. We can destroy unity just by what comes out of our mouth. And it's usually not a very long process. The damage many times is very swift and costly with just a a few well-chosen words. And it has the same effect that fire does. It spreads fast and it causes a lot of ruin. Just up the street a couple nights ago, a house burned. The firefighter said it was just devastating. It was one of the worst they've ever seen. Apparently a man, uh, they think, and I'm not trying to impugn reputation, the man died. Apparently he was a smoker and he had oxygen in the house. And somehow the two things combined and the house was destroyed and he died. Fire is deadly. When fire starts, it does significant damage. So look back at the text in verse 5. When the Bible tells us that our tongue is a fire that defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life because it is set on fire by hell. We should probably be sobered by that. We should look at that and say, Lord, I better take very seriously the call 
to be holy in what I say. And that phrase that's there defiles the entire body should get our attention. A mouth that's full of sin, a mouth that is controlled by selfishness and pride and set up by the Holy Spirit becomes its own world of iniquity and it thoroughly corrupts us spiritually. And it's not just part of us. It now affects our whole life because this fire has the scent of hell. Now remember again, this is written to believers. Many times James uses the word brethren. This is to us. He's saying, believer, the one who's been sanctified, the one who's been forgiven, this is a problem. And you and I better guard our tongue against the presence of this fire because this way, doing this, speaking this, is not representative of life that's been changed by Christ. We shouldn't expect that people who have not been sanctified by the mercy of God, we shouldn't expect them to speak words of encouragement or to be pure in the way that they speak or, 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 or to speak truth, or, or to, to flatter uh, in, the, in a loving way. That's not who they are. They don't know it. But we do. We know the words of life. You're holding in your hand the words of life. So we know what it is to be changed and sanctified and to have a heart that's renewed. So, so how are we speaking? Solomon says in Proverbs 4, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for flow the springs of life. In other words, whatever comes out of this little place reveals what's in your heart. So if there is fire all throughout our lives, we're not living a holy life. And how can we testify to people the change that's happened in our lives if they're hearing corrupt communication come out of our mouth? Now, how do we deal with this? Because we want to get to some conclusions here. How do we not only offset this, but here's the word I want you to get this morning. How do we become victorious in this area? This is not just a matter of, well, we got to do better and we'll try harder and, you know, keep me accountable. If I say something that's not right, look at me and go, you need to kind of... No, we're not just talking about doing better this morning. We are talking about how do we become victorious in this area? How do we become overcomers in this area? How do we walk as examples of godliness in the way we speak? I believe the answer comes from understanding the analogy that the Spirit gives us here. Look back at it in verse 5. He uses the example of a fire. And as I was praying and studying this week, uh, the Lord really impressed upon my heart a couple thoughts here that I want to share just over the next few minutes, and then we're going to pray. There are four qualities of a fire that cause it to burn faster and to burn hotter. And if we're going to put out this deadly fire that he says we all have, we all struggle with, even as believers, if we're going to put out this fire that the tongue wants to stoke, and if we're going to have the fire of the Holy Spirit, which is the right fire in us, then we have to figure out how to cut it off. So let's take some notes. I want you to write these down because this morning the Lord's calling us to be spiritual firefighters. We have got to put this fire out. And we've got to fight it. And to fight a fire, you've got to know what to look for and what to remove that's flammable. Now, as I said, there are four things that help a fire grow and keep burning. Number one, fire spreads when it has an accelerant. Fire spreads when it has an accelerant. An accelerant, I I did a little research this week, is anything that initiates and promotes a fire. And the list is very long. Gasoline, kerosene. Uh, alcohol, oil, 
paint thinner, uh, many chemicals. These are all accelerants. When a fire hits an accelerant, it quickly burns at a higher temperature. In other words, the, the flame is going, and when this, this accelerant comes in, all of a sudden the flame goes, oh, yeah, that's what I want. And it burns hotter, and it burns faster, and it spreads, which makes it more extensive and more dangerous. A fire that has an accelerant will do more damage than a fire that doesn't. Now, how does that apply to us? Verbally, we say things that increase the rate of damage when we use them. Some of them we don't maybe know are causing that much damage, and others we do know, and we use them intentionally, and we do it to hurt the person. Some of the ones that we use intentionally are slander, gossip, criticism, defamation, innuendo, cursing, even the tone we use with people, because tone conveys meaning, doesn't it? Even the tone we use sometimes creates a lot of problems. These are things that are designed to actually hurt someone. We go, I would never do that, Paul. Really? I know I did it this week. Critical of somebody behind their back, saying something that was harsh, speaking the wrong way, using the right tone to really convey, I know what I'm talking about, you don't. Being judgmental. These are all things that we do, and they're designed by nature to tear people down and to undermine their character and their reputation and to elevate us. Now, we know they're wrong. We know when we say them that they're wrong and they're intended to harm. But honestly, let's be real blunt this morning. There are just times when we feel like using them. And sometimes it's to justify something that they've done and they've hurt us and they deserve some sort of rebuke. So we're going to get back at them and we're going to say something. There is no denying that these are fire accelerants. And what that does is it makes us relational arsonists. Sometimes we throw the match and we say, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, you want it? You've been talking to me? You've been talking smack with me? Okay, now, now let me go. Let me say something that's going to hurt you because you've been saying stuff that's hurt me. Now, now I'm going to say it to you. And we become arsonists in our relationships where we make it worse and worse. These are the ones we know. Sometimes we don't know that we're hurting somebody. And one I've noticed more and more is what I call the communication of exclusivity. The communication of exclusivity. And this happens a lot of different ways, but social media is kind of the breeding ground for it. It's, it's where people talk about what they did and who they were with, and, and it may be they're just joyful and they want to show that their life is interesting. But sometimes, and we've got to be careful of this. I've seen this more and more. Sometimes it has the effect of making people jealous, or they say, well, why wasn't I included in that? We've all done this. And it's hard because now with social media, we say so many things about our lives, but sometimes when we do that, we need to understand that by simply expressing that, somebody else may say, well, I wasn't included. And, and why wasn't I included? So when we talk, we have to be careful that we don't make an already flammable situation worse. That we're not throwing logs in the fire. We're not throwing some fuel in the fire to make it burn hotter. So number one, fire spreads when it has accelerant. Number two, fire spreads unless oxygen is cut off. Now, the Lord really gave me some, some fresh insight, or at least it was fresh to me, 
this week. And I hope I can explain it well because I think it is just an amazing spiritual concept. And I love it. And I don't think I'm going to know how to explain it. So Holy Spirit, help us right now. Because this to me is just incredible. When we inhale, we breathe in what? Oxygen. Good. When we exhale, we breathe out what? Carbon dioxide. Good. All right. You guys did pretty well in science class. Better than me, apparently. So when we breathe in, we breathe in oxygen. When we breathe out, we breathe out carbon dioxide. Oxygen causes a fire to burn because it supports a chemical reaction. I'm going to bore you here with some science. It supports a chemical reaction that perpetuates the fire. In other words, oxygen releases the energy that the fire has to allow it to continue to burn. Oxygen itself doesn't burn. It just supports burning. You get it? You with me so far? Now, if we apply that concept spiritually, and this is where I hope I can explain this, fire is supported in its burning by oxygen. And the only way a fire can be caused by our mouth is by giving it more oxygen. Now, what do we breathe in? We breathe in oxygen. Now, this is where I believe the Lord's given us a thought. In other words, when communication is about us, when we're promoting ourselves, when it's about me and not about you, that is allowing the fire to grow. It's not about building up the other person. It's about us. The fire that defiles is fed by the oxygen of self. It's fed by self-centered talk that not only corrupts us personally, but now it starts to harm other people, and it defiles the whole body. And here I think there's a broader implication that it defiles the whole body, not just my body. So what will cause the fire to grow? What will cause relational conflict to grow when I start to make it about me and, and it's what I want and what I feel and what I demand and what I need? That's where it gets worse. Anytime we're talking about ourselves and using words to elevate ourselves, it has the potential to burn the fire hotter because it is about our pride and not about edification. So what's the answer? Well, remember what we breathe out. What do we breathe out? There were four of you that said that. It was just a minute ago that we went through this, right? Carbon dioxide. So the oxygen comes in, some kind of weird chemical reaction that I never learned in school happens, and carbon dioxide comes out. If you look on a a basic fire extinguisher, especially an older one, the main ingredient is carbon dioxide. Why? Because carbon dioxide displaces the oxygen so the fire can't breathe and it puts a stop to it. Now apply it spiritually. When I breathe in and I make it about me, the fire burns hotter. The relationship struggles. When I breathe out and I encourage and edify and strengthen the other person, what does it do? It do. It puts out the fire. And now the relationship becomes stronger. And now you start to speak words of encouragement and you offer forgiveness and you show mercy and the fire that's been burning so fast because people got selfish. Anytime you have an argument with your spouse, what's it about? It's about you, right? I don't have arguments with Julie where I'm going, Julie, I just want to love you and sacrifice for you. Let's have an argument about that. That'll be great. No, when we have a fight, 
Guess what happens? Well, Paul's being selfish, and maybe Julie's being selfish. Breathing in, taking in the oxygen. But now it's about me. And we stop and we start to breathe out. How can I encourage you? How can I forgive you? I'm sorry. Why did I say that? I shouldn't have said I'm so sorry. People spent billions of dollars this week trying to find the right card, right? Still give cards to your spouse, right? Just the right card. I found, I wish I had grabbed a couple, but they were like $7.99 each. But I wanted to use them as an example of some of the cheesiest cards. Like, I just hope we, we become better friends. I'm like, this is a Valentine's card for Pete's sake. This is my spouse. I hope we become better friends over the years. Struggling for the right words to say. When we start to breathe out, say, how can I encourage you? How can I edify you? How can I pray for you? How can I love you? How can I forgive you? Please forgive me. I've been selfish. When we start to do that, the oxygen gets displaced and the fire starts to go out. Third, fire spreads when there is underbrush. Fire spreads when there's underbrush. During a forest fire, the fire will advance much more quickly when there's dry underbrush that hasn't been cleaned. Fallen trees, dead wood, uh, grass or, or, or leaves that are dry that are just waiting to ignite. So you say, well, how does that apply relationally? What, is, what does this mean? Well, miners originated a phrase way back when called fire in the hole where they would say right before they set off an explosive charge that would cut out a new section of the mine, they would yell out, fire in the hole. And that meant there's something that's going to explode in a confined space, so you better take cover. Now, now, have you ever had an argument, or actually, let's not even call it an argument. Have you ever had a discussion where things are going along fine and everything's smooth and you're just minding your own business and, and you're just having a good time and you're talking about something, and then all of a sudden, a sensitive topic comes up. All of a sudden, some kind of stress hits. And before you know it, there is a major fire going on. And you have gone from nice and calm to now screaming at each other. I know you don't do this at home, but again, just imagine this. You're uptight, you're yelling, your voice is raised, you got that tone like, oh, I'm so condescending and I love it. And it went from peaceful to a forest fire, and you're wondering what in the world happened. Why didn't somebody yell fire in the hole? Because I didn't see that this was about to explode. Now that sudden fire, listen now, is caused by the underbrush of our relationships. All the unresolved junk that we haven't dealt with, all the stuff that we haven't forgiven or asked forgiveness for, it lays on the forest floor of our relationships and it's ready to be ignited by just the simplest match. And it takes so little to get going. But once it does, look out. And as it explodes, and kind of, whoa! And all of a sudden, you're, you're like, how do I get in front of this and put this out before it causes some serious long-term damage? As you're sitting there watching it burn, you say, if I had just dealt with the problem, if I had just reconciled this, if I had just made this right, if I had just not been proud and asked forgiveness, 
this whole fire wouldn't have had any dry kindling to keep it going. But because I didn't deal with it, now it's exploded. Look back at verse 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. That's the concept of the underbrush. James knew. He says, if we would deal with this junk in our relationships and, and, and we would resolve the issues that are there and not just let them slide and hope they'll go away. And guys, we're really, really good at this. Maybe if she doesn't talk about it, it will go away. If we get those things resolved, the fire won't have any fuel. L- listen, if that dead wood is in your relationship today, if there's stuff that's unresolved, you've got to start clearing it out. Deal with it now because at some point that fire is going to ignite. And if it's laying there, it's going to be bad. Fourth, let's conclude. Fire spreads when you don't put it out. Now this one seemed really obvious to me, but the Spirit kept kind of impressing upon my heart. Listen, listen to this. Fire spreads when you don't put it out. How often do we let a conflict persist because we don't do anything to extinguish it? It may seem harmless because it's just smoldering, but it can still do damage. It's like the underbrush. We don't get it resolved completely, and we don't ask for forgiveness, and we hope the issue will die away, but the ashes are still hot. Remember, he says the tongue is a fire, and look at verse 8. It says it's a restless evil. So just because we think the problem is over doesn't mean that the tongue isn't still looking for trouble because it's restless. Let's say you have a fire in the fireplace when you're enjoying an evening at home. I'm not sure what that is, but I've heard it happens. You're you're enjoying an evening at home, and you build a nice fire because it's like 87 degrees below zero. And and you think, well, I'll build a fire, cut down on the heating bill a little bit, and, and, and you're watching a little TV and just hanging out, and then you decide to go to bed. Do you ever go to bed with the fire still burning? Do you ever go to bed... If there are, there are embers still popping out, you know, like they do where I go, and it goes out through the screen and it lands on your little hearth and you go, uh-oh, that's probably not good. I'm glad that didn't hit the carpet. Let, let's say you're going to bed and the embers are still popping out. Are you going to turn off the lights and hope for the best? Well, embers are popping out. Might hit the carpet. Carpet's flammable. I'll be all right. It's good. Smoke detectors aren't working. We'll be good. It's, it's awesome. Or before you go to bed, you separate the logs and tamp down the fire and make sure that it's beat so the ashes now aren't going to cause any problem? The answer is obvious, right? So why do we allow the ashes of conflict to stay warm in our relationship and think that there's not going to be a problem? Why, when things are popping out and, and causing problems, do we say, no big deal? And you know what? It works in reverse. Not letting an issue die when the person has asked for forgiveness. I see this all the time in counseling. I'll be sitting in counseling with a couple, and somebody will bring up something that happened 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I remember you said that. We were on vacation, and you said this. Or, or I remember we were at Thanksgiving once, and you said this to my mom. And, and, and the person's like, we've already talked about that. I've asked for forgiveness. You said you forgave me. Well, I didn't. Not letting it go, it's keeping the fire going. Keeping the person in emotional bondage 
because you haven't forgiven. Listen, we don't need to give the devil any help. Instead, we need to quench his work and and yield ourselves more fully to the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit's fire will burn in us. I don't want the devil's fire. I want the Holy Spirit's fire in my life. I want the Holy Spirit to burn in me. I want the Spirit's fire. Come on, that's what we need this morning. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit, which is sanctified and pure and edifying and builds relationships rather than tears them down. But if we don't control our mouths, and if we keep pouring fuel and logs, it's just going to keep burning. This is a difficult area for us. I need to be done. This is a difficult area for us. We have to get control of this. And listen, the only one that is going to help us in this is the Holy Spirit. He says right here in the passage, nobody can tame their tongues. I cannot control my tongue this week. I cannot control. I'm not saying I'm helpless. I'm saying it is more powerful than me. I can't control my tongue this week, but the Holy Spirit can. And if I'm walking in the Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit, He will tame us. And the words that come out of us will build life and build each other up spiritually rather than tearing them down. Let's close our eyes. Our whole life, our whole life is affected by our tongue. And our whole life should exhibit the fire of the Holy Spirit, not the fire of iniquity out of our mouths. So let's just take a minute. I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you this morning. I know the things He's convicted me about this week and is still convicting me about, but right now between you and the Lord, there's not a single person in this room that this isn't true about. The question is, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do with this truth that the Lord's given to us this morning? The fire is restless. It's a deadly evil. It's a poison. It's a fire waiting to spread. Is that going to be true of us? Is that what people are going to hear out of our lips? Is that what our brothers and sisters are going to hear with one part of our mouth blessing and the other part cursing? We need the Holy Spirit to sanctify our mouths again and again every day. This is part of the process of dying daily, that our pride doesn't control what we say, but the Holy Spirit does. I need help in this. I know you need help in this. We all need help. So I want to encourage you right now, bring this before the Lord. Confess specifically the areas of your life where your tongue is not controlled, where your mouth is doing damage. And ask Him to change you. Lord, we look to You for help. We don't want it to be true of us that we bless and curse in the same breath. We want to be people that honestly and truthfully and joyfully praise You and bless Your name and bless each other and edify and encourage and strengthen and forgive and pray for and share the gospel. What would be pleasing to you out of our mouths, Lord? And Lord, we all need help with this. 
Lord, we ask you to heal marriages where the words are harsh, where there is not forgiveness, where there's underbrush laying that has not been resolved. Lord, help us to resolve those issues so that they're not embers waiting to pop. Give us a spirit, Lord, of humility and of sacrifice that we would not make it about ourselves, but we would make it about others. And then by doing that, we would make it about you. Lord, we ask you for help. We cannot do this on our own. You have told us that. We cannot solve this on our own. So the only way this can be solved, Lord, is by you intervening. And Lord, you've already intervened in our lives. We know you're willing. So we ask you this morning, we beg you, intervene with our mouths. And may they be a source of fresh water, of blessing and honor to you. Lord, we know the enemy is going to attack very hard right now. Even as we get in our cars today, he's going to make us want to say something harsh. I pray against him this morning, Lord. I pray that you would work and empower us to be people that bless with our mouths. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for all that you do to change us and sanctify us. May we be pleasing to you, Lord, in how we live. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.